Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Hey, welcome to this bonus episode of Concerts That Made Us. I'm your host, Brian, and as always, find us and follow us on social media and rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps the show grow. Now, my guest on this special episode is the maestro of mind culture, the prince of pragmatic conversation, the king of collabs. It's Gil from the Mind Buzz. So I hope you're all strapped in because you're in for one hell of a ride. Now, without further ado... Let's get on with the show. Hi, Gil. You're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us this evening. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's one I've been wanting to, wanting to get done for a while now. We've been talking about this for, for quite a few, few weeks. We have indeed. We've, uh, it's, it's been tricky to pin it down to, to find a day to do it. Yeah, I mean, considering you're on the other side of the world. That does pose some problems, all right, and time zones. Yeah, you're what, like eight hours? Uh, I think so, something like that. It's 12.30 at night here now. Oh, it's 12.30, okay. You're, it's 4.30 now. Ah, eight hours. Eight, right? Wait, it's Monday over there now? <laughs> it is. I'm in the future. I'm speaking to you from the future. Do you want Whoa. the lotto numbers? Yeah, if you don't mind. <laughs> so um, I mentioned in the intro, you're from the awesome Mind Buzz podcast, which I've guested on, of course. Yeah, exactly. For any of the listeners that haven't heard of it, I'm sure... It's a very small amount that haven't. Why don't you tell us a bit about it? Well, uh, I have pretty cool guests, just like Brian. I mean, that's how we connected on, uh, on social networking, the Instagram. But, um, well, the Mind Buzz is a pragmatic conversation that explores mind culture, society, and uh, just pretty much anything that is happening in the world today and the catch about that is is that i speak to podcasters i speak to activists and artists so uh, and content creators as well sounds sounds very interesting at least you're not limited to one group then you can kind of each episode can be about something different yeah exactly and when the fun part is that Yes, we. I talk to podcasters and you know different artists about their craft, but we 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 mostly get into you know like other subject matters that they're they're not used to talking about on their on their show. So 
I like to give them uh, some space and a platform to express what's on their, what's going on in their mind at the moment, besides all their, their great uh, creative work that's coming out. Yeah. Yeah. A good example of that would be because obviously on my podcast, I only ever talk about music concerts and bands, but on the episode of your show, I appeared on, I think we were saying before we pressed record that we only talked about music for one or two minutes. The rest was aliens, the queen of England, conspiracy theories, a load of weird shit. Yeah, exactly. And I don't even, how did we even get into that? (laughs) I have no idea. I have no idea. I know that it started off with you saying that I was uh, the leader of the Mossman, uh, Mango Mossman fan club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, again, back to these booking agency uh, agents here at the Mind Buzz. I, I thought they booked me with him, <laughs> but uh, obviously not. They, see, they got that wrong again. <laughs> I'm telling you, you have to you have to start giving out some uh, P forty fives. Yeah. Well, what? Are, wait, hold on. What are those? <laughs> uh, over here, that's basically a, a letter you get that says you're fired. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I'll give them chances. I, I'm. I'm not a. I'm not a monster. I'll, I'll give them a chance. Well, We're still new. <laughs> They've time to learn. Yeah. So, um, I think you're fast learning the the title of the hardest working podcaster out there. How does that make you feel? <laughs> ooh, ooh, that that was a real uh, term. Yeah, yeah. I've heard I've heard a couple of people say it. I've said it myself. Really? Mm. Yeah. I'm just doing my thing, man, and trying to give some uh, some good stuff out. I think that's my goal: is just trying to put push uh, no more content out there. Yeah, yeah. Is there a for any listeners that want to jump into your podcast is there an episode that you'd you'd recommend them to start at that would give them a good picture of your overall podcast i would say at this point uh it's it would be easier to go to my website which is uh mindbuzz.buzzsprout.com i mean they can go on there and look and just search by the title because I do anything from, I have activists on, which is my, my latest one, which I haven't, uh, I haven't done like anything like that, uh, you know, hmm. in the past, that was fun, but also it was also educational yeah. and it, w- it was a piece that uh, really nobody uh, likes to discuss. So we did talk about a few uh, documentaries documentaries on um on animal farming here in uh the u.s and aside from that like if 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 that's not your your deal i also have some uh conspiracy episodes which you were on that turned into a conspiracy theory podcast (laughs) (laughs) or episode Uh, so you can catch the one with brian um and then also I am. I'm not sure what what day this is coming out, but I will be doing uh, a crossover episode with uh, Bad Council also. So that's uh, that's going to be a funny one. Oh man, that's, a, that's an entertainment one, definitely. Shout out to Bad yeah. Council. They're an awesome podcast. Them guys are yeah. hilarious. Those guys are great. Tim, you're awesome. Greg, Katie, and uh, Jack, 
Yeah, Jack, you came last. Sorry, but <laughs> I've actually it's crossed my mind. I have a lot of interaction with those guys on on Instagram as well. It's crossed my mind a couple of times of asking them on. Oh yeah, they're they're awesome. They're awesome. Tim's yeah. great. Actually, uh, I started well in that episode that we did, Brian. Uh, we did talk about music and my my musical influences in uh, growing up in in SoCal. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah we, we were we were talking about um, the. Now that I think about it, I don't even know if there's any. Well, you can tell me uh, if there's any Irish psychobilly bands. Psychobilly. Yeah. No, no, it wouldn't be a very large no? market in Ireland. Really? Mm. Yeah, it's probably bigger in, in uh, the UK, huh? Mm. Yeah. Got it. But that'd yeah. be a that's what genre of music you'd be into, is it? When, well, yeah, when I was growing up, uh, it was it was all psychobilly and the Meteors and uh, you know the Clash. Yeah, uh, yeah. UK Bombs, all those guys. Yeah, I love the Clash. Yeah. They'd be one of. Uh, There'd be a band I would have listened to a good bit now growing up as well. Yeah. Yeah. But that's growing up. Like it was all punk rock and psychobilly mm. and, and uh, some neo rockabilly that would come out. But now, I don't know, dude. Like I, at this point, I'm stuck between crazy psychobilly and some days I just like to turn on, uh, I don't know, Simon and Garfunkel. Honestly, it's the best of both worlds sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of, I think everyone is like that, you know, like there's some days you'd be listening to the most metal, screamy, shouty sort of stuff. And then yeah. you'll turn on, you'll be in the mood to listen to something quieter, you know, could even be, I don't know, Johnny Cash, or, you know, complete polar opposites. Yeah. Yeah. Even Johnny Cash too. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you have to love Johnny Cash. The man in black. Mm. Yeah. He's uh Oh, he's a legend. You couldn't say anything more about him. He's just, he's a legend. What do you think about Elvis? Elvis? Yeah. Oh, man. How long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I spent a good portion of my life about, or obsessed about Elvis. When I, I kind of got into him when I was around six or seven, and I used to save up my pocket money and buy a CD every week. And they used to have these box sets with all his CDs. And when I was about 12, 13, I was so proud of myself that I, I think I had every song Elvis Presley ever recorded. And I had read loads of books on him. Like you could ask me the most weirdest fact about Elvis and I'd probably be able to tell you what day it happened. Really? So, um, yeah, I really got into him in a big way, but then as I, uh, as I matured a bit, I kind of, my music taste widened and varied, you know, what about you? What was your, what would your earliest musical memory be? Early musical memory, probably hanging out with my dad in his lowered blue. I don't even know why he would lower it, but it was, <laughs> it was an older blue kind of beat up, uh, Toyota. I don't know. He he pimped that Toyota out, but uh what what I remember listening to K Earth 101. So anything, any kind of um any any like oldies, hmm. 
Chicano raps kind of stuff. Uh, that's what I grew up on. And it was the oldies, definitely. It's like uh, the, min- uh, the Midnighters. It was... Uh, well, I remember listening to the Beatles also. Like in, in K-Earth 101, they'd play the Beatles all the time. But it was... Yeah, it was like Mary Wells, Temptations, uh, Motown, anything like that growing up for me. Oldies, like 1950s oldies, Chicano stuff. Oh, you had a good basis then to, to sort of form a music taste from. Yeah. You started off with all the classics. Yeah, it was, a, it was started off with all the classic. Yeah. I think that's the only way to go. You know, it's a, you kind of have to start off with the with the classics, see the roots and where everything else came from. Yeah. Like when, when I went to, when I started going to college, I was studying some uh, history of rock and roll that even if you don't even like, you know, rock music, but you'll just enjoy music in general, Hmm. taking like a, like a history of rock and roll that it, it opened, it widened my palette of music and it, it just showed me like the roots and where you know, where music was uh, in every uh, decade. Like it's starting at every decade and it it showed how, you know, society and the way that they were thinking back then, it all found on the music as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's weird when you look at how society reacts to music. Like it's strange to think that back in the 50s, people were trying to ban Elvis. Back in the 60s, people were trying to ban the Beatles, whereas yeah. they're so tame to us nowadays compared to what mu- what goes on in the music world now. You know, it's just, it's very weird. Yeah. And, and like groups like, uh, like the Beach Boys, they, they did something that wasn't you know, done before. They mixed uh, the teenage rock style uh, back in the late fifties, early sixties, and they mixed it with a, a genre that they'd even uh, well, Brian Wilson wasn't even a surfer. To, to top it all off, it was Dennis Wilson, his brother, that was a surfer. So uh, Brian had a brilliant idea of mixing uh, his brother's, you know, hobby and the, you know, like four, uh, like four seasons, all the the barbershop kind of. Um, guys to yeah. uh, the, well the barbershop uh, music genre he mixed that with surf and rock and roll and the Beach Boys were born jeez it definitely worked anyway yeah exactly yeah but like just uh, those small those small like little subtleties in, in rock and roll mm. yeah yeah definitely was doing before. it's hard now it's hard to come up with the genre now if you're it is because everything is after being done, you know? Yeah. It's uh it's near impossible to think of something that hasn't actually been done before. But then I feel like stuff like that, it's like eighty percent thinking up something new, twenty percent perfect timing, right time, right place. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And even exactly. if you look back at some of the legendary musicians from years ago, all of them we're in the right time, a right place at the right time, you know, whether it's Elvis, Johnny Cash, the Beatles. If they had have been a day late for, say, a certain meeting or someone in particular hearing them, you know, we wouldn't know who they were today. Yeah. I always find stuff like that fascinating. And even with 
with just other musicians being inspired by other musicians. Like it was Elvis that inspired John Lennon and probably a whole bunch of other different rock stars of our time. Yeah, definitely. He did. He, um, like if you look at nearly every band from the sixties, they all looked at Elvis as, you know, as the King, you know, but they were all inspired by his music. They were all listening to his records when they were teenagers trying to emulate the way he sang, the way he moved on stage and inspired them to go on and become rock stars. You know, even today, like Bruce Springsteen was inspired by Elvis. Oh, he was. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching the documentary about Elvis and he was speaking, uh, speaking on the documentary, just saying that when he was younger, he used to love listening to his records and learning how to play the songs on, on guitar and, you know, trying to sing like him, stuff like that. He really, he really started it all. Be interesting to see what music would be like today if there was no Elvis, or was it? Would it be one of them things where the next guy would have came along and we'd look at him the same way we look at Elvis today? Yeah, I was gonna bring that up. Like, if if that if if fate and rock and roll wanted to be born, it probably wanted to be born, and it didn't. I mean, it. Of course, Elvis did it in a certain way. I'm pretty sure that whoever got the next idea even if we didn't have Elvis, how different it would be. Mm. Yeah, yeah. True, true. But um, I I usually ask my guests at this stage what their first concert was. But you have a pretty interesting job that's kind of linked to concerts. Would you like to yeah. tell us about it? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, it, I did work uh, with Close Proximities of uh, concerts, stadiums, um, you know, any, any type of, uh, you know, activity like that, because I was the food and beverage uh, sort of manager uh, that dealt with certain events in Southern California. Predominantly, uh, they were uh, food festivals and concerts during our 18 run of uh, our county fair that we had there. Oh man, that sounds like a pretty fun job. How did you get into that? Uh, I kind of, I was dragged and pulled into that. I don't think I even chose. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, I kind of just fell into it. Actually, I have a administration uh, HR background, so I'm no, uh, I'm no, I'm no stranger to uh, the computer or anything like that, or Excel spreadsheets and all that stuff. That's interesting, actually. I uh, I studied HR myself. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something we have in common. I didn't know. So y- you know why I went to food and beverage then? <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, I worked in food and beverage. Uh, well, yeah, see? afterwards, I worked in a hotel. Oh, okay, so the concept is similar to the, to the business model that a fair would have. Yeah. Just think catering on crack. <laughs> Times a million people. Sounds like a, a good name for a catering company. Catering on crack. Yeah. So what was the day-to-day like at, at that job? Day-to-day was office hours for like 12 hours a day. No, oh, it was... lovely. No, it was it's it was a lot of analyzing uh going back 
looking how much uh, revenue was versus labor costs versus how much, uh, you know, flavor of what sold this much, what flavor of this mm. can be better suited for a different type of event. It was, it was stuff like that. And then also like uh, the amount of, you know, cars coming in, uh, basically assessing the whole event. Yeah. In terms of booze and corn dogs. Right, right. And you mentioned that there'd be concerts and it was the largest fairgrounds. Would you be on the ground for the concerts? Would you be there? Would you get to see the concerts? Yeah, I, that was probably the coolest like part of the night because I was there pretty much from open to close. Oh. So yeah. So it was a it was a nice end to like a crazy night. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. have to ask you then, what was the what was the first concert you worked for then? The first one that I remember was probably War. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, anybody that doesn't know who War is, it's, why can't we be friends? Those guys. <laughs> ah, I didn't want to say it, but geez. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was those guys. I bet that was a fun concert. It was cool. It was really cool. Um, I got a, what did I buy that day? Usually I, if there's like a concert that I like, I'll usually buy, usually we'll buy like a piece of merch or something. Oh yeah, you have to. That one was cool. And then depending on what kind of um, crowd, I mean, that, that's another thing too, that we would think about what kind of crowd will um, this concert pull in and, you know, what type of beer should we put out more? Should there be more handles of Modelo? Would there be more handles of, um, you know, Bud Light, Budweiser? Mm. You know, just stuff like that to better assess. Uh, and all in all. That's an interesting one, though. I had never thought of that. I'll give you a little pop quiz then. You're putting on a, a heavy metal concert. What do you stock yeah. the place with? What sells the most at the heavy metal concert? If we like, if it was a heavy metal concert down here, if it was heavy metal in SoCal, uh, and we we were uh, uh, Anheuser Busch Stadium, so we would probably that's a it'd be a light beer definitely, Bud Light, uh, Coors Light, and Budweiser, and if if I had my choice in getting like a specialty, I'd probably get PBR. Okay. Okay. You know, your Maybe. stuff. I don't know. Would that vary, say very much if it was a, a rap concert or a R and B concert, margaritas and wine. <laughs> Hands down. And Hennessy. We usually yeah. to think about it. And, and it was those kinds of concerts that sold, a lot of of Hennessy and mixed drinks. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But um, if you any did you get to serve give drinks or food to the to the acts? No, that was that was one piece where I kind of I wasn't. That was that was beyond my pay grade. It was my it was my bosses that would get to uh, do all that. Oh, they get yeah. to do the cool mingling. Yeah, exactly. I was I was the guy down on the uh, down on the floor um, 
making sure that these stands were, uh, were putting it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, what was what's your you have you must have a favorite concert that you've worked for. My most favorite is it wasn't a concert during uh, any of the fairs. It was the first and only time that we were able to do uh, a huge indie and uh, Chicano concert, mm -hmm. which was Tropicalia. Yeah, that was the best concert that I've, I've ever went to, especially ever went to and working at because I worked it during the day opening shift. And then at night I was able to go and uh, hang out with uh, my friends that were able to get tickets that, that year. Oh, that must've been pretty, uh, pretty cool. Yeah, it was awesome. It was really cool. Originally we weren't going to, we weren't going to uh, uh, have like a, a bar or any type of food stand at that, uh, at that concert. But then um, my boss, uh, ended up working a deal with uh, the event, so we were able to open up two bars for that event. Oh, pre-COVID, I suppose there would have been a lot of shows on. It would have been a a very busy sector. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We do over like three hundred events a year. Jesus. And out of those three hundred, were about ninety percent of those three hundred we would uh, service the the client which the client was the, the, uh, the venue hmm. and we, Oh, by the way, I don't even think I, I honed in on what, uh, what we actually sold, but, uh, we were the main vendors for alcohol ah. at the venue. Oh, it's a, it's a, pr it's probably the best thing to be selling at a, at a concert. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know when I, I go anywhere, the, uh, over here, the lines are yeah. always like fucking full for the whole concert, no matter what stage, nobody waits for like the interval or the midway break to just go straight for a, for a beer. But uh, as opposed to the food, you rarely see people eating it at a concert over here, unless it's one of the outdoor middle of summer kind of mini festivals, you know, then they'd have a yeah. food court and stuff like that. But, um, post covid then or since covid began i i i suppose there's been absolutely nothing happening no there's not anything going on um at the moment you were obviously laid off due to covid were you yeah yeah just the whole uh the whole sector and the the really the event business is i don't want to say uh it, it's been put out mm. It's been put out, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be a struggle to get back to where uh, most businesses were. Uh, yeah, I can imagine that. Um, is there any light at the end of the tunnel at all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There is. We just got to. It's 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 moving. Okay. What's um? So there's uh. Is there any gigs happening at all over here, over there? Because I know over here. There's still not not a thing happening, but there's um actually in the last two weeks there's been a lot of gigs announced for like October, November, that time of year. But I'm like a friend texted me the other day saying the offspring were announced for I think November playing what? Dublin. Yeah. But I'm still a bit wary to buy concert tickets now at the moment. You know? Really? Yeah, I don't know. I just I'd prefer to wait a while now till I know 
what kind of restrictions are, you know, like obviously everyone is going to have to be vaccinated, but will everybody be vaccinated by November? You know? Yeah. I don't want to have concert tickets and not be able to go. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that Brian, because uh, in LA, they just opened uh, Staples Center. They're going to be opening Staples Center. Uh, there's going to be uh, um, huge changes. Of course, there's, they're going to have, uh, you know, uh, it's, what is that shit? Uh, hand sanitizer everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, better cleaning, better cleaning uh, guidelines. And then uh, actually to... That's just inside the stadium. I mean, I'm pretty sure I don't, there's a lot more in depth. I mean, considering the food and beverage portion of events, hmm. uh, there's not going to be any food allowed at the seats. That's right. one. Yeah. Of course, you're going to have masks on. I'm pretty sure what they're going to do, they're going to have like a, um, they're going to build like food courts and you're going to be probably able to sit down. Yeah. Those. But like if you have a huge stadium that holds what hundreds and thousands of people, you're gonna have to have huge food courts. You're gonna have to have X amount of food stands, you're gonna have X amount of people working those stands, and you're gonna have to have people cleaning up during the during the event and post event. That's just with with COVID, and then plus you're gonna have your masks on. You're gonna have people walking around, making sure that other people have their masks on when they're doing that in planes. Mm, yeah, yeah. Two things that struck me though was, first of all, not really thinking about it. That sounds great because it's obviously going to create more jobs, you know, things like that. But then from the other yeah. side of it, it's going to force the cost of putting a concert through the roof, which is going to turn people off. Yeah. You know? That's true. And as you mentioned, could you imagine the size of the food the food court they would need? Yeah. Like they'd need a, a building beside it practically almost the same size as the stadium. Yeah. Doesn't seem very feasible. No, it 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 doesn't. I mean it they might I mean that's just my speculation. Like that's yeah. if they even want to do something like that. But yeah. I mean, the food court is going to be open. Um, that's the that's the one thing that just struck me was just like uh, no no food at you know sitting down. Yeah, what's the what's that got to do with uh, with COVID? Like, I think because when you when you eat, obviously you have to take your mask off. True, true. And they would, I I bet some patrons will use that as an excuse not to wear their mask yeah yeah you know uh the that have like a mask mask manager you know sit at each aisle making sure people have their masks on yeah you know, Ma- hey, mask you, patrol you need to put, put, put your mask on put your mask on <laughs> we need to put you need to have your mask on and well okay well i'm i can't have my mask on i'm drinking my beer lady they don't want mm. that to happen. Yeah, yeah. Another thing as well is it gets very, very hot at concerts, especially if you're standing and you're down, yeah. you know, near the stage. Whatever yeah. about up in the seats, but close down. Yeah. That's where I like to be, close down, close to the stage. Yeah, you, it gets very hot. 
Yeah, you bring an extra interesting point. I was just thinking about people sitting down, like a stadium. Uh, I was talking about stadium, but you're now you're 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 bringing another component, and that's everybody that's down on the the floor, down at the ground, at the good seats, or not even seats, but the good pits. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, could you imagine trying to enforce social distancing in that? There'd be no way. No, not a hope. And then the other thing is gets very very hot and people tend some people tend to faint at concerts could you imagine when they're wearing masks and they're getting that hot what it would be like there would be people yeah. dropping left right and center like yeah i don't not a good idea no no not at all it's uh i'm curious to see what way it will it will work out you know what will happen so that they can get that industry back back on yeah and and to even get inside uh well at least for staple center is they want to at least have they want a person you know a patron a customer a paying customer with a ticket before you buy your ticket you have to show proof of a negative testing mm. of covid within two weeks of the event day and or your second vaccine yeah yeah i was thinking it'd be something like that all right you have to show yeah. proof of that so uh even to get into the that it's uh it's a whole different ballpark story yeah yeah sam how's the vaccinations going over there the jab <laughs> the jab is interesting. Mm. It's interesting. They're they're forcing a lot of people to get it. It's uh yeah, they're kinda they're forcing it on everyone over here as well. They're expecting everybody to get it. And mm. you know they're talking about if you want to go on holidays, you're going to have to get this uh special EU uh vaccine passport. Yeah. Which is like a, a little card. They're calling those over here in the States, they're calling them freedom passports. Oh, lovely. That's, that brings a lot of, uh, I don't know, negative connotations. It can. I'm, probably, I'm pretty sure the older generation are, are, are thinking about this. Just like, oh, oh, here we go again. Yeah. Here we go again. My first thought was, do you remember back in the early 2000s when they changed would they try to change french fries to freedom fries really do you not remember that no no it was post 9 11 and i think it was when the iraq war was happening and france refused yeah. to go into iraq so america kind of turned against france and start like they didn't want anything to do with france and stuff so they said that they're no longer calling french fries french fries they're called freedom fries wow mm. that didn't that didn't go well no we have tons of signage sir who's gonna pay for all this signage that i have to change <laughs> yeah. changing french to freedom mm. what about french toast did they say anything about that i don't recall seeing anything about french toast huh i guess that's not as popular no well, Americans, anything greasy that you dumped into a frying pan, uh, we, we, we will enjoy. Mm. Yeah. I mean, just the, the people that went to 
the fair. I mean, that's what they loved. It's all the it's all the greasy stuff. Oh yeah, all the 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 frog legs and all the frog legs you can eat that are <laughs> dipped in battering and put into uh, the deep fryer on a stick. Mm-hmm. No, even on a stick, Brian. Lovely, lovely. Did you ever try deep fried frog legs? The frog legs, I did not. That I, I regret to inform you. Hmm. I don't think I'd be able to stomach them. Now, I'm usually curious when it comes to food. I like to taste exotic things, but yeah. there can't be that much meat on a frog leg. No, it was mostly bone and skin. Yeah, that's what I would think. <laughs> I imagine it like a, trying to eat a rubber band, like a rubber band on a stick. <laughs> <laughs> Just a green, the green rubber band. Mm. It's fishy. Like I think I'd rather, you know, get like a big juicy cheeseburger, eat that, yeah. Then get oh. the frog leg. Use the frog leg as a toothpick, to, you know, to oh, yeah. eat afterwards. Yeah, yeah. You need to do that. What about this brand? They had the what they used to call it a triple decker burger. So oh. it was three meats, three cheese. Like and they're smash burgers, burgers. So the the meat on them wasn't too thick and it wasn't too thin. It was it was pretty spot on. So three of those patties with cheese melted, but instead of buns, they use Krispy Kreme donuts. Oh, that's and it was a tri- triple decker cheeseburger. That sounds very interesting. That's something I'd have to try. There's um. Yeah. Any of my friends that are listening to this now are like, oh, of course, he's in his element now. I'm like the king of cheeseburgers. I wouldn't say they're my favorite food, but if I ever go to a chipper or takeaway, I have to get a cheeseburger. Even if it's just an appetizer, just to taste it. I love burgers. And I have a saying when it comes to burgers, the messier, the better. Oh, okay. If If that burger is like all over your hands when you're picking it up, you know it's a good one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well do you, well it was uh well what burger place was it? Uh I think it was like Carlos Jr. if they said if it doesn't get all over your face, it doesn't belong in this place or something like that. <laughs> That's a pretty good tagline. <laughs> <laughs> you you're spot on though. That was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you could use that for many different things in life though. Yeah, many it could be food or you know other, other, other things mm. that uh, men enjoy and women <laughs> and women too. Yeah, it, yeah, it's for everybody. It's a saying for all spectrums. It is. It is. <laughs> Speaking of burgers and such, you're a vegan, are you? No, I'm. I'm not. I, oh. I like vegan food. Right. Okay. Yeah, I like vegan food. I I eat vegan food probably every day, but I do not consider myself a vegan at all. Right. So you eat meat and stuff, but you just have a um it I don't know, it's kind of I think it, it's more of like the the label, labeling stuff, but I was don't get me wrong, I was vegan for maybe about 3 years that I can say truly that yeah, I was a, I was a vegan. Right. And I put that on pause for like three years. 
three to four years, I put uh, a pause on that. And I just, I went wild kind of (laughs) eating different places and trying different things, which uh, that was my intentions because the reason why I stopped being, being vegan was because, and, and this goes back to the job that I was working. Uh, we had, we were traveling, we had uh, different, we met a lot of different food distributors, uh, beer dis- distributors, uh, lots of chefs, um, you know, trying out different restaurants. And I felt that I was uh, holding myself back and holding my palate uh, of tasting different foods different type of foods because they weren't vegan so that's why I kind of stepped away from that from you know because I felt that I was kind of uh, I don't want to say lowering lowering my standard but I was saying like I was you were limiting yourself I was yeah exactly yeah I was limiting myself makes sense makes sense yeah yeah uh, but fast forward now I mean I I think about them like maybe I could have, I could have balanced myself, but uh, yeah, I, just, I went ham. I drank a lot too. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was another thing. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's something every man has to do. I think take a couple of years where they just go mental yeah. and find themselves. Yeah. Uh, John Lennon had his. I can't remember what it was called. Now it was like his. Uh, his wild weekend or something. I think it was like a period of a couple of years in his life before he married Yoko Ono, where he just went off and went nuts altogether. I think every man at some stage needs to do that. Yeah. You know, really find yourself. I think so. Like if you don't do it in your early twenties, like are you going to do in your fifties? I think when you do it in your fifties, it's just called a midlife crisis. Is that is that fifties or is that thirties? What? Hold on. Let me. What? What year? I mean, does it? What? What stage in life does it become a crisis in the middle of your life? I don't know actually because I know personally. I when I turned thirty, I got accused of having a midlife crisis because I bought I bought a sports car, but I don't think. I know it wasn't a midlife crisis, but I don't think you could actually have a midlife crisis when you turn 30. But then no. it is hard to define when your midlife is because 50s would be too late because no one is living past 100, really. Yeah. You know, like 35 to 40 is probably... Unless, unless if you're Keith Richards. Yes, that man will live forever. And Willie Nelson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, an atom bomb will come down crashing onto this world and... It'll be cockroaches and Keith Richards will still be alive. <laughs> yeah. He'll wake up someday and he'll have a he'll have a joint in his mouth and he'll be like, Jeez man, what was that? What, what happened? What? Where's, where's everyone going? What happened? Oh no, I'm doing the Ozzy Osbourne thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was more Ozzy Osbourne than just a bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 Sharon, Sharon, this is Keith Richards and like, oh, yeah, yeah. Have you, uh, have you ever had anything you'd uh, describe as a midlife crisis or a near midlife crisis? I'm going through a midlife crisis right now. Really? (laughs) Yeah. To be honest, 
<laughs> okay. Maybe that's what maybe that's what this podcast is. It's just me having a midlife crisis. Could be, could be. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I, I'm thinking about. It, I'm like, hmm, what, what, what could this possibly be? It can be a depression. I'm wearing. I'm having way too much fun. <laughs> this is not a depression. It's a midlife crisis because it, it's fun, but it's not healthy at the same time. But you know, I'm having a good time. I'm having a good time here. Well, that's what counts. Yeah, not a midlife crisis, a midlife celebration. How? Yes, exactly. That's it. We need to change the term to a midlife celebration. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Deal with that, <laughs> psychologist. Whatever. What um, there's something actually. What would you say is the best thing about podcasting you've learned since you started? Hmm. Like, like, what do you mean? Uh, uh, I'm missing that question. What's the best thing about podcasting that you've realized since starting? Dude, it's just, it's talking to people. It's trying to, my thing, well, I, it's not easy. I think that was the the first thing. And Mm. knowing it's not easy and whatever your first initial thought is getting into it, you have to kill your darlings. At least that's it. That's how it is for me. Mm. Like originally I had an idea and a plan and that went out the window in three episodes. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> it's different for me because I, there, my shows it's, it's different and there's really no uh, particular topic that mm. I, that I really dive deep into on certain occasions on certain occasions when if it if I have somebody from like an activist group or uh, a group that is something that is doing you know difference doing a difference in their city and or community mm-hmm. those then it, it opens a wide range you know yeah originally it was going to be every show was going to be that uh, was going to be on that model Oh, yeah, something serious. Um, well, oh, everything is serious, but I mean, uh, like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, I gotcha. To define it, just like a, you, something that's educational rather than, you know, like an entertainment. Yeah, piece. yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I, I couldn't imagine you doing a, a serious podcast where every episode is completely serious, you know? I think you need that entertainment factor as well. And I like what your show has become, you know, mm-hmm. it is, it is, it's very entertaining, but it's very educational as well. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, to mix that stuff up and, and give your, what I found that's pretty cool too. You, you get to show your personality yeah, in, in a certain, in a different light. And that's with every, I think with every podcaster you, you see and you listen I mean, there, there's reasons why people tune into uh, concerts that made us. There, there's a certain part in that art, which you are doing, is something that they're, they're really connecting to, whether it be your voice 
whether it be the bands you cover, whether it be, um, you know, the songs that they listen to have a link to your show. Like yeah. there's, there you're you're pulling, and with any artist too, and with a podcaster, you're pulling in your audience with an art. Yeah, I don't know. I definitely don't think it's my voice anyway, because I think my voice would just put them asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe that's it. Maybe they tune in just as they're going to bed. They put it on, put their phone on the bedside locker, and within like 10 minutes, they're asleep. <laughs> no, I, I can't imagine anybody doing that. Like, I, I listen to your show, dude, and the really cool part about it is I get to listen to music that I've never would be able to find just by searching on my own. Yeah, yeah. That's a... Well, thanks for saying that, first of all, but that's no kind of what... I'm really glad the show has kind of grown into that. You know, that yeah. it's not just me interviewing people. It's uh, me, first of all, myself finding new music and then exposing the listeners to that new music, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and it's cool because you you have like a mainstream, there's mainstream music on here, but you're also showing a different side and that's like the independent artist side, mm. you know, deriving from that type of style of music. You know what I mean? So like, hey, if you like this group, say you like, uh, you know, Metallica, right? Yeah. And you, you'll bring on somebody that was maybe they could be inspired by that. And you know what I mean? Mm. And and uh, their their guests will there's a connection right there between an, what an artist uh, likes and what uh, other, you know, what their audience may be into. Also. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I, um, I love when, you know, an up and coming band or an independent band, a band that isn't signed yet, contact me asking to come on the show and I listen to their music and it's really cool because I don't know, it feels like, Sometimes it feels like more than doing a podcast when I bring a guest on like that, interview them and play their music in the episode because I feel like I'm getting their music out to people who yeah. might not have ever heard them, you know? Yeah. And it's reaching a different audience too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Dude, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's some really good stuff right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of it's fulfilling. You feel like you're helping someone along, even if it's only a small bit. You know? Yeah. I mean the same thing with um, with like the different uh, activists that I just recently did. That that was the last episode that uh, I just put out. Um, well, I don't know when this is going to be out, but uh, my this last will be next week, I'd say. Okay, yeah. So I'll probably have like two other shows out after. But this is the uh, the one with uh, people fighting pandemics. Okay. That was a that that was a really good one by activists in uh, California and Massachusetts. Well, and same principle, really. You're getting their message. You know, yeah. you're spreading your their message, getting them heard by people who wouldn't have heard them. You know, like I'm yeah. in Ireland, I wouldn't have even known they existed if it wasn't for your yeah. podcast. You know, it's pretty great. Yeah, and even when with your model, you have the music portion, which everybody loves music. Exactly. I think adding 
the the only but you have a good way of putting your stuff together with uh with spotify and mm. i thought that was that's really cool that's interesting see you 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 bring a certain element to that and it's it's freaking cool dude like you're doing some badass stuff thanks i uh i really appreciate you saying that it's uh it's nice to hear yeah but um we should probably get back to music and concerts the um the last couple of questions i usually ask my guests i'd love to hear what your answers would be so if you could see any artist uh, from any time in history perform in concert who would it be jim morrison really yeah oh man i yeah. i actually I, I wouldn't have said you uh you would have said jim morrison yeah jim morrison oh and down that's the only person i could think of <laughs> jim morrison yeah jim morrison or uh jimmy hendrix oh yeah jimmy hendrix yeah. would be pretty cool and well the two that are fighting for that spot is actually jim morrison or john lennon okay john lennon solo or john lennon with the beatles john lennon solo mm. imagine i want him on a grand piano sitting down playing imagine yeah or real real love real love yeah i love that song it's awesome that's mm. always i don't know that that song just i don't know man it just it pulls at you it it, it pulls your, your strings dude as yeah, um, I've said this before, and it's uh, it's kind of it's not really a, a great term to be using, really, but it kind of reaches down deep inside you and does something. Yeah, you know, it's um, but my next question, and I'd be intrigued to see who you uh who you pick, if you could uh quarantine with for twenty four hours with any artist throughout history. Just the two of ye locked in a room. Who would it be? John Lennon. Right, right. Yeah. And why? He probably had some really good acid. <laughs> nice. That's a, that's a good reason. All right. <laughs> so you'd love to get high with John Lennon. I <laughs> either uh, either LSD or cocaine, whatever he had, I, I put me in. Heck yeah, that that would be that would be interesting. I'd probably just have him talk to me, like tell me what what inspired you to write, you know, songs. What 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 inspired you? Or him and Paul McCartney. Uh, actually, mm. the Beatles, dude. I though I'd hang out with the Beatles, the, all of them. Yeah, even Ringo too. <laughs> even poor Ringo even even guys that weren't uh, musically part of the band <laughs> like Brian their, man, their manager and their uh, their road manager and uh, the, rec the record producer everything anyone linked to the Beatles yeah which is strange uh, I don't want to get off topic here but uh, what's the name uh What's their their manager's name again? I just had it. You just said Brian it. Eno. No, not Brian Eno. Brian Epstein. 
Yes, exactly. He he died on my birthday, but it wasn't. It was 1968. Of course, I wasn't born yet, but it was August 27th, which I find that really kind of. Uh, it's not strange at all. It's it's really not. There's no coincidence or anything like that. But I just I, I looked up his his death and I was just like, whoa. Well, I read it in when I was studying uh, the rock and roll history. That's pretty cool, though. It's obviously stuck out to you, meant something to you. Yeah, yeah. But there's no there's no coincidence. There's no conspiracy or anything like that. I just <laughs> no. I just thought that was pretty cool. And I told my girl about it, and she was like, "Dude, go to bed." <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds like my partner as well i would have been like thinking that was deadly like really cool and my missus would have been like yeah okay time for sleep <laughs> <laughs> all right dude <laughs> yeah yeah i love things like that though yeah yeah and uh what about the the thing that as a musician john lennon was hands down amazing one of the best there's ever been but as a person a little bit of a shithead really yeah yeah he wasn't uh he's supposed to have been not exactly a nice person really mm. huh. yeah it's um he just he was huh you're killing my dreams here okay i'll shut up <laughs> no kill him kill him put him down no, he was supposed to be incredibly selfish and just uh, mean spirited. Really, I really have to. Uh, I'm I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, you should. You should. There's there's lots of great stories, especially look up his relationship with his son, the son he had first that he left in England. He was oh. really shitty to him and to his ex-wife. Mm. Okay. Kind of. It'll change your opinion of him as a person, anyway, a lot. But well, was not it, so much as a musician. Yeah, but what was it? His early life, starting out, or was he just uh, a shithead? I think he was generally just a shithead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have to. Yeah. I have to say about that. I have to go on uh, an investigation now. Yeah, yeah, do and let me know what you find. Let me know if you're uh, if you come to the conclusion that John Lennon was a shithead. No, I you might you brought something here, Brian, because I you just gave me an idea of what I want to do a podcast in the next couple of weeks. Right. Uh, yeah, I have to get down to the bottom of this. I have to talk to somebody from a Beatles podcast or something. Yeah, actually, that's a very good one. There's a, yeah. it's a very good idea. There's a, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a, there's a podcast that is solely dedicated to the Beatles. They'd be a very good one. Your man like knows, I'd say he knows what type of underwear the Beatles wore. He really? Knows that much about him. Yeah. He'd be a, a perfect one. Yeah. Well, I know uh, Marv from Pods Like Us, he probably knows somebody. I mean, that's how he, that's what he said that he's, he's been on a couple of Beatles shows. Before. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. He knows tons of stuff about the Beatles. Ah, there you go. You could get him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I have to ask him about this. Hmm. That's interesting. 
That, that's an interesting topic for like a uh, like an essay. Yeah. Was John Lennon a shithead? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I definitely read it. Or if it was an episode, I'd definitely tune in. With that name? Oh yeah, definitely. It's the shithead part that grabs your attention. Shithead. And then John Lennon with the question mark at the end. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. These thing these two things should not go together. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so um apart from getting hiding say your worst nightmare he arrives in and he's like oh hi Gil I forgot my LSD that's a really bad John Lennon impression so he that has that was actually drugs, really good <laughs> that, was, that was good that was fun I liked it alright you probably couldn't hear me right the audio cut out or something <laughs> anyway yeah. um, he has no drugs with him you're stuck in the room for 24 hours, completely sober. What are you going to do? What will you talk about? I would definitely talk him out of being in a relationship. Right. With Yoko Ono. Okay. For one. I'm trying to save the Beatles here. <laughs> right. Right. Don't, I, I would tell him, don't fall for it. Don't do it. She's not, she ain't the one. Mm. Somehow I don't think that would have saved the Beatles. Might have prolonged them by a little bit, but I think, I think it was inevitable. Yeah. They just reached their potential in, in rock and roll history and just that was it. I don't think they reached their potential. I definitely, I think they definitely had some more left in them, some more good albums, some more good songs. I think they just reached the end of their patience with each other mm. by the end so of it they just could not stand each other so it was more or less um, just the band members in general wasn't there yeah yeah it was actually paul who left the beatles first yeah that's true isn't it yeah he um there was like a big legal battle when brian epstein died he wanted his wife's brother-in-law to take over as the manager and the rest of the guys wanted someone John had picked. Mm. And they ended up having a big court battle. And after the fallout of that, they just couldn't stand each other. And Paul McCartney used to actually go in when they were recording the last album. This this may or may not be true now, but I've, I've read it somewhere. That Paul McCartney mm. used to go in in the early hours of the morning and record his bass, then record George's guitar, record Ringo's drums, and then record both tracks of the audio. Then the guys come in to record their bits and it'll all be already done. And mm. in one way, it's a handy way to keep a band together. But from his point of view, his point of view, I think it was more of a, like a fuck you guys. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you know anything about, uh, uh, what, what's your take on is Paul really dead? I <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. am. You can't bring up the Beatles and not ask for, not have me ask you about that. Is Paul really dead? Hmm. I love the whole concept of it. Uh-huh. And I admit, he doesn't look like what you imagine he should look like from earlier photos. Okay. But it's, 
I don't think so. I think it's him. Yeah. I think it's really him. I think it was a very, very good publicity stunt that sold a hell of a lot of records. It did. Yeah. It's genius level marketing. And then putting all the putting all the hints in the albums and the whole if you play this album backwards, there's a clue. Sure, that's going to wreck the uh, the records, and then they have to go out and buy new records. You know. Yeah. Putting clues on the album covers, you know. Oh, Paul has a black patch on his arm on Sergeant Pepper's. That means he's dead. Well, it was uh, the D. It was the D O A patch that was on his. Uh, his uh, the, that freaking jacket that they're wearing. It was yeah. called a, a DOA, which is supposed to signify dead on arrival. Mm. Yeah, and he was a uh, he was supposed to have died in a car crash, wasn't he? Yeah, which he had picked up a young girl, and mm-hmm. after leaving a party or a recording studio with the Beatles, he uh, decided to go home. He was driving along. He picked up this girl, and yeah. Well, before that, they were uh, Paul, Paul and and John had some sort of disagreement mm. before that. That's why it kind of forced Paul to get up and leave. And yeah. during during the during the recording, and uh, it was like pouring rain or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she she didn't immediately recognize who it was, and then she. After a while, she she realized who it was and started jumping all over him. And well, he was supposed to be nearly decapitated and everything and all that. Yeah. And then they got um, a guy who was a Canadian police officer to replace him. Yes, I'm trying to remember his name, but his name is in one of the Willie Campbell. Yeah, William Campbell. Yeah, and if you play one of the records backwards i'm trying i can't remember what what record it is what song it is it's like i've heard it it's um it sounds really weird but it's like "Mm, his name is willie campbell (laughs) it sounds really fucked up but it's just it's (laughs) it's some genius level marketing like you know and they were the first ones to ever do the back what was it backward masking or something yeah back, back masking yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 cool, wasn't it? Um, what's his name? George Harrison. I think it was George Harrison that uh, came up with the concept. I think so. Yeah. All the other of all the other psychedelic stuff that they're listening to. Yeah. And he also put like a sitar in their yeah. music. Yeah, also. he did. He was heavily influenced by their trip to India. And that was another reason why um, why they didn't continue touring was because of uh the supposed death of mm. paul mccartney also yeah yeah the fear that people seeing them in public performing people would realize it wasn't them yeah and even with uh, all the backward masking and stuff like they want they use those type of effects to kind of mask the i guess the inconsistent bass playing with what william shears did at the time yeah yeah what do you think do you think william William campbell i'm sorry i'm thinking of billy shears because that's what uh john lennon says in one of the songs he says Mm. billy shears what do you think do you think is paul do you think paul is dead like this 
it's a far reach and they even they even said all this stuff like all the different album artwork and all the clues inside the songs and stuff they even announced them like what like 68 mm-hmm. they announced it something on the radio and it didn't stick yeah but as far as for me i don't know i wrote the first time i found out about this and we're going to get back to elvis because in college i wrote uh like like a five-page paper on how i thought elvis was still alive okay so i came across this like years ago before i actually really got into the beatles okay yeah so i don't know like there's a lot of is it art imitating life or is it life imitating art it's very Uh, coincidental and there's a whole bunch of uh connections but like what we said in the podcast that you're on on the mind buzz was that are you are we looking for these kinds of connections or we just need to go outside and be in the sun (laughs) (laughs) yeah get off your damn laptop and stop looking at crazy conspiracy connection stuff and you know go do something go read a book yeah yeah (laughs) but then what if it's a conspiracy theory book yeah yeah that's half of my library anyways (laughs) me too me too (laughs) um what was your paper you'll have to tell me some bits of your paper now about elvis being still alive one of them that i remember is that uh at his open casket that the body was sweating Mm -hmm. that there was too much condensation on his face yeah it was supposed to be a wax model yeah exactly so they 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 said it's a wax model could be could be and the coffin apparently had air conditioning in it really i didn't i don't remember that i've heard it but would a coffin in 1970s really have been able to have air conditioning you know (laughs) most cars didn't even have air conditioning that's my point (laughs) you know they're not putting it in coffins before to put it in cars but But he's uh, a king that is true that is true being a rock and roll but he wasn't really that rich when he died he only had a million dollars left in his bank account the king of rock and roll (laughs) (laughs) you sound like johnny bravo now yeah that was more johnny bravo (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but um Oh, you could go on for days. I'd be more inclined to believe that one, though, than the Willie Campbell. Really? I actually would, yeah. No, I've looked deeply into it, and it's slightly more plausible than they got a Canadian police officer to replace Paul McCartney. But this is how they did it. They set up a huge lookalike contest to get this guy. Yeah, it was on. It wasn't the Ed Sullivan show. It was another one, the Marv Griffin show or something, wasn't it? Back something in the like 60s. that. Yeah. And they found him. But like, would he have been able to do the accent? You know, it's I, one thing to just happen to look like the guy, but yeah. would he have been able to? Be like, oh, hello, I'm Paul McCartney. I'm in the Beatles. Yeah. You know? I mean, well, I you suppose, did pretty good. I uh, yeah, I just killed my own point there, didn't I? It's pretty easy <laughs> to actually do. Okay, I'm converted. Willie Campbell is Paul McCartney. <laughs> yes, we did it. We did it. So we see my name is Willie Campbell. <laughs> 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 I 
I'm going to be saying that to myself going to sleep tonight and I'll start pissing myself <laughs> laughing. I'll wake, a, I'll wake my partner up and she'll be like, what the fuck are you doing? Go sleep. Just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. Did you know Paul McCartney is dead? <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think Elvis being still alive is more plausible than McCartney being dead. Like there's so much shit and he went undercover for the FBI to nab a, a gangster and shit like that. Like and the mob had hits out on him. Whoa. I don't remember writing. I don't remember writing about that in my paper. Yeah. Uh, I must have missed that. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, Go on. so he had got his father to sell his private jet. Right. Yeah. And they, this guy rang up about buying the jet. They set up the meeting. This guy came and gave paid uh, Vernon for the jet, but it was counterfeit money or it was laundered money. Well, it wouldn't have been laundered. They wouldn't have known. There was something wrong with the deal. Who's Vernon? Vernon Presley, Elvis's father. Okay. So he was handling the sale while Elvis was on tour. And something went south with the deal anyway, and they found out that there were actually, it was the mob who bought the plane. So... Elvis was very kind of pro-police and he had this fascination with the police and with the FBI and he wanted to be a cop like he was an honorary cop in nearly every state of America and he was an honorary uh, DEA agent. That's, what? Yeah, you've surely heard of the meeting between Elvis Presley and Richard Nixon. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Richard Nixon gave him a badge and made him an honorary drug enforcement officer. So basically, it was kind of smart on Elvis's uh, part because he wanted to be able to travel from state to state with drugs. And Ooh, once he got the yeah. badge, so he went to Nixon. He was like, hey, man, listen, I want to catch them damn hippies and stop them smoking their drugs. Yeah. And uh, he did that, but he really just wanted to be able to travel from state to state with drugs without getting arrested. So um, he's a G that's, that's what a gangster does. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, the plane thing. So the FBI came to him and were like, look, we want to catch these guys. Will you go undercover and set them up? We'll be waiting. We'll burst in, arrest all of them. So they'd done a whole selling them something, setting up a deal to do the sale again. And they turned up, the FBI came in and arrested them. But obviously the mob then knew that Elvis had double crossed them. So they put a hit out on Elvis and they reckon Elvis faked his death and went into the witness protection. The end. <laughs> For those that can't see, Gil is doing the mind-blown actions. Whoa. I've never heard that before. Yeah, yeah. And I could see it happening because he was kind of sick of the life at that stage you know he felt like he had no friends he was just surrounded by people that worked for him his wife had left him he had a string of young girlfriends that he never really they never really matched up to priscilla he um he was living a weird lifestyle where he was sleeping all day and he was up all night and he wasn't very healthy he had this um condition wrong with his intestines where he'd either be really constipated or he'd be he'd have uh, explosive diarrhea yeah. And he was always afraid he was going to shit himself on stage. But there was only one way he could stop it. And that was to get a colostomy bag fitted. And he didn't want to have a 
a clostomy, a clostomy bag. So he keep he kept treating it with medication, but it wasn't working. So every couple of weeks he'd be like constipated for three or four weeks and he'd look really, really heavy. Then after that, he'd have diarrhea for weeks and he wouldn't look as heavy, but obviously that'd take its toll on you. So yeah. he was just kind of sick of living the life at that stage. So it's very easy to believe that he just said, yeah, fuck it, I'll go into WITSEC, you know? But yeah. I do think I do think if he did fake his death and went off to live as someone else, I definitely think he's dead by now. You yeah. know, because he wasn't that healthy of a man and he wouldn't have lived into his mid-80s, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's just... Yeah, what, they have like a quote about that. Like, do you want to... What's that? What's that quote? It came out at the end of like Inception. Like, do you, do you do you do you die as a hero or live on to be the man that you you know that you dislike? Oh, or something. Was that not the quote in Batman that the Joker says or something? Maybe. Do you want to die a hero or live long to be live long enough to become the villain or something? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but like you're saying, he's he was used to being the fucking Mac Daddy, yeah, of the entire world, mm. and I mean, but then again, like if you think about it, the fe- the story that we were fed, or the American people was fed, or the world was fed, I mean, was that his ideal exit plan? Like he see, I'm glad you brought up that point. If you were orchestrating your own fake death. Would you really pick that? Oh, I fucking died on the toilet. I shit my brains out and died on the toilet. You know, you wouldn't like you would. It's the the most uncoolest way to be like he went from being the coolest motherfucker on the planet in the 50s and 60s to being. Oh, yeah, that fat guy that died on the toilet. You know, you wouldn't. No, that's not ideal. I wouldn't. No. (laughs) The king died on his throne. Yeah. Basically, that's what he did. But then, look at it from another point of view. It could be a bit of reverse psychology. You know, because he could be thinking, well, do you think if people thought I faked it, that I'd really want them to think I died on the toilet? They'd never believe that I actually wanted them to think that, so they're not going to believe that I actually did. And now I'm really confusing myself, but hopefully you get the point. (laughs) (laughs) Please say you got what I was saying because I can't repeat that again. <laughs> yeah, I I totally get it. I, for what it's worth. For what it's worth. Damn, that was confusing. Yeah, we were. You're gonna make like a black hole or something. I thought. I, I thought, thought I was you. fucking going into Inception there for a second. <laughs> I was like in a dream within a dream within a dream. <laughs> Oh, oh my God, dude. Oh, oh man, I'm sweating. <laughs> that was good. And uh, what about you mentioned Jim Morrison then? Do you think he faked his death? No, I think he died, dude. <laughs> I think he died. <laughs> you see, you're just saying what? that now because you're like, I can't handle any more of his like confusing analogies. <laughs> 
Don't fuck up Jim Morrison for me, Brian. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no, uh, I don't think he did. I think he, I don't know. But then we get into it and it's just like, how, come on, you, if, you, if you're a drug person or, or anybody at that matter, you know what to take, how much to take. And this also falls into Jimi Hendrix also, man. Yes. Did he fake his death? There's actually a was theory. He was he murdered? Yeah, exactly. That's a more plausible theory. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at all these figures in the late 1960s and early 70s, and these guys were the top of their game. They had hundreds, uh, maybe millions of, of people and young kids in that generation that thought that these guys were... Uh, you know, gods. the gods or, you know, people of artists, mm. they were, they're following. And I talked a lot about this too on the podcast that uh, like we said, like your your the music goes where the social, uh, the social uh, difference goes. Yeah. And it shows that in music. And sometimes musicians are a little bit trustworthy than some politicians and some form of government also yeah well musicians usually get the trust of the the younger generations more so than the politicians you know yeah. how many young people can name five politicians then you ask them to name five singers or bands yeah i can't even do that also i can't the only the only politicians that i can name are the ones that i dislike <laughs> yeah that's actually a very good point yeah I know them all too well. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of mad though the way they all start dying around the same time. Yeah. And at the same age, the 27 club. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of, that. that's an odd one. That's an odd one because mm. it's a lot of these people that were at the top of their game. Yeah. Yeah, they really were. And it's, uh, it's too coincidental. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ones that were at uh, top of their game, you had Robert Johnson. Well, he was definitely murdered. Robert Johnson, he was the first one in the 27 club, I think. I think he started, but he was, I reckon, like, he was definitely murdered. He was playing a gig in a bar down south and he was flirting with the bar owner's wife and he drank from an open, open bottle and he died two days later, I think, from strychnine, strychnine poison. Yeah, strychnine. Yeah, so that was murder. But he obviously just happened to be 27. Yeah. But then people believe the whole thing. Oh, he went to the crossroads and sold his soul to the devil to be the best guitar player ever. That's another... <laughs> yeah, actually, that's how he's... What he's really known for. Yeah. It, his wicked style and his wicked uh, ways of playing the guitar back at that time that nobody else was really doing. Yeah, there was another another singer and guitar player who went away for three years. And before he went away, Robert Johnson said to him, when you come back, I'm going to be the best guitarist you've ever seen. And he was like, no, I'm not going to be gone. I'm not going to be gone long enough for you to be able to progress that much. So he went away and he came back three years later and he said it wasn't possible that he could have got that good in only three years. You know, so that's how the whole myth of him selling mm. his soul to the devil started. 
Oh, so it was that guy that said it. Yeah, yeah, and it just grew from there. Hmm. And after uh, after Robert Johnson, who do we have? After Robert Johnson, then they have uh, Brian Jones. Really? Yeah. There was that much of a, a gap? Yeah. He died in a swimming pool, am I right or wrong? Uh, Brian Jones or Robert Johnson? No, Robert Johnson was murdered. That yeah, was... no, Brian Jones. Yeah. Yeah, that was 1938. Jeez. Yeah. No, but this one was in uh, 1969. And yeah, uh, so I'm looking at an uh, article from Rolling Stone. So this pretty much, this article maps out pretty much everyone that is considered to be part of the 27 Club. Oh. But what they say about Jones, uh, Brian Jones' death is that it was a result of his foolish behavior. So that was mixing alcohol and drugs and then diving into a swimming pool. Yeah, that'll do it for you, all right? Yeah. Yeah, there's... I can't I can't see how it would be a conspiracy around that one, though. No. No, they, it's... It, I think just the, the totality of it is that he was 27. Yeah, yeah. That his age was just 27. Yeah. There was, there was really no um, class or anything. Mm. Uh, not class, but <laughs> not uh, not anything that's out of the ordinary. Strange. Yeah. The next one has to be Jimmy then, is it? The next one is Alan Wilson. I've never heard of this guy. Have you? I first of all thought of the Beach Boys, but... Alan, no, 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 no. Alan Wilson. Oh, no, I was talking about Brian. Brian and Dennis Wilson are uh, Beach Boys. Yeah, yeah. Who's Alan? So, yeah. Uh, Alan uh, Canned Heat enjoyed uh, considerable artistic and commercial. So this guy's probably from Canned Heat then. Yeah, that's a band I've heard of. All right. How did he die? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so he was on there. They were at Woodstock 99. Um Okay, so his body, Wilson's body was found in Heights Yard on September 3rd, 1970. His hands were crossed over his chest, and there was a bottle of barbi- of the barbiturate Cianol by his side. So he probably, he was on drugs. Mm. Yeah, barbiturate. So he probably had some really like low downers. So the cause of death was officially given as an accidental overdose of barbiturates. Jeez. Yeah, but his his drummer from Canned Heat says that uh, he believes that Wilson committed suicide. It was an ac- ac- accident. Oh. Yeah. Strange. Yeah, but the next one is uh, Jimi Hendrix. That's the one that you brought up. I was thinking so, all right. Yeah. He, um, he didn't really have a, a great way to go either, he choked on his own vomit in the ambulance did yeah poor old yeah, jimmy when he, yeah when he was staying in in london mm. he, he took sleeping pills see that's that's what i don't get brian is that yeah you 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 take all these drugs but don't you you already know i mean the amount of what you should right but then again you get high so yeah you're like yeah i and what they say about uh, addiction and that type of stuff is that the addict is always searching for that first high. 
Yeah, they, they can never have. find it. And you're never going to get that at all. Yeah. So they just yeah. up, up the dose, up the dose, up the dose. Yeah, until the they can't take anymore. Interesting yeah. side note about Jimmy staying in London, actually. You know whose apartment he was renting? Ringo Starr's. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's a interesting connection. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that apartment was Ringo's? The yeah. one he died in? I'm not entirely sure if it was the one he died in, but I know when he was living in uh, London for a while, he was renting an apartment off of Ringo Starr. Really? Yeah. That's cool. It is. Now, I'm in no way insinuating that Ringo Starr had anything to do with killing him. <laughs> well, then, uh, to bring it back to Paul McCartney, did he have something to do with Paul McCartney's death, too? <laughs> is he secretly uh, knocking off all these uh, rock stars and wouldn't even know about it? Ringo? Yeah. Oh, man, Ringo. Ringo can barely play the drums. I, I highly doubt he's some sort of like criminal mastermind knocking off all these rock stars. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like, I'll show you. <laughs> Insult my drumming. I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I can't do it. I just sound like a, a thirsty homeless person trying to do an accent. <laughs> I'm going to take a wild guess then and say after Ginny, Ginny, who the fuck is Ginny? After Jimmy, it's Janice. It's actually Ginny Joplin. Oh, good old Ginny Joplin. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but it was uh, Janice Joplin. Yes, I feel like she would have been very predictable because she just seemed absolutely crazy and wild. Oh, yeah, she was going to die anyways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. But 27, dude, you think about it. What the hell were we doing at 27? These guys were touring around the country. They were going, you know. Yeah. When I was 27, I fucking got severely depressed because I was thinking of these guys like conquering the world. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm like, yeah. working a nine to five shitty job. And these guys were multimillionaires writing the best songs ever at 27. I feel like I'm still a teenager at 27. Yeah. Yeah, these guys were, they were just killing it. Yeah, yeah. But then that's why they were the special ones, the ones yeah. who became legends. But it kind of faded away then and didn't really come back until Kirk Cobain died. That, I feel like Kirk Cobain dying really brought attention to the whole 27 Club thing. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we go to... Kurt Cobain, we, we brought up uh, Jim Morrison. So he's on this list also. Of course, of course. You can't forget good old Jimbo. Yeah. yeah. He's another one, though. He, he, I feel like he was just searching for debt. Yeah. Well, he's, he was one of the guys that, um, you know, I don't know, just he, this is why I love this guy. <laughs> because he wasn't your, your normal rock star i felt like he was uh i don't know just like a poet fucking rock star i think that's what i'm looking for yeah yeah that's very true he was actually i'd say he was more so a poet than a rock star yeah like i'd say if he had lived he would have left the rock star lifestyle behind and would have continued living in 
Paris, probably would have went to Morocco and just released a couple of poetry books every couple of years and lived a perfectly happy life doing that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, the record that I have from him is, um, American prayer. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so that is just freaking amazing. Yeah, it really is. He was, uh, his poems are actually, they're a lot better than some of the songs. And I know it, that's kind of contradictory because his songs were originally poems. Were his poems. Yeah. But um, yeah, I love that album, the spoken word one, where it's just him reading out his, his poems. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and then when you add the Ray Manzarek and Robbie Krieger and John Densmore's that's why I do the doors are there. I think they're like one of my favorites. Definitely. Yeah, me too. Because of this man right here. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say I almost, I almost every day, if not every second day, listen to a door song. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They're definitely up there. What's your, what's your favorite song? It's a tough one now because it depends on the mood, but I always tend to go back to uh, Not To Touch The Art, but it has to be the live version. Okay. It's just the energy and everything that Jim puts into the performance. It's just, it's, it really kind of, it gets you going, you mm-hmm. know. What about you? What's your favorite one? My favorite one, it has to be between like Light My Fire. Mm-hmm. Or um, not not the end. It's uh, when the music's over. That's probably my top. Yeah. I love that song as well. You know, I find it very hard to find a door song I don't like. Yeah. You know, they're all very listenable. But there's a couple now that would be my favorite that I'd always go back to her to be first ones I'd listen to. But you know, anyone that comes after that, I'd, I wouldn't, I'd never skip it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, their, uh, the, their live albums are freaking just wicked. Like, I love going back and listening to the, um, uh, when they played at the Bowl in mm. the six, in 68. I think they put that one on a record also. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of live albums. Him at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. Imagine having seen that. Yeah, dude. That's another thing, man. Like I would, if I grew up in that era, I'd, I'd probably be into the doors. Hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I always, when I was a teenager and I was really, really getting into music, I always had this idea in my head that if I had lived in the sixties, I would have became another Jim Morrison and died at 27. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But obviously, now that I've now that I've surpassed twenty seven, I think that's an incredibly stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was kind of I was anticipating that at twenty seven, and then my birthday came around, and I was like, okay, maybe I have just a whole new uh, another year to be part of the twenty seven club, and yeah, that never came around. So, okay. Uh, okay, I'll leave it to Jim Morrison. Yeah. Yeah. As I'm getting older, actually, I kind of have this thing where it's like anytime I'm the same age as someone that I've 
idolized or a famous person I like. Anytime I hit the age that they died and uh, I live past that, I'm like, right, have to wait another couple of years then to see. Like when I hit 24, James James Dean died when he was 24. So I was like, right, this is going to be the year. Then I hit 25 <laughs> and I was like, right, I've uh, a couple of more years. 27 is definitely going to be the year, you know. I think yeah. the next one now was uh, 42. Elvis was 42. <laughs> so I have uh, about nine years left. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I got a... I'm pushing for that one too. I, Elvis is, yeah, there you go. I think I'm going to use that. I'm going to use the same model you're using. <laughs> so I have to be, yeah. Elvis is next. Mm. What age are you, by the way? I'm, I'm going to be 30 this year. Oh. Yeah. I turned the big three out this year. I don't know why, but I thought you were only like 24, 25. Oh, yeah, I'm 24. <laughs> are you having some any sort of existential crisis at the thought of turning 30 no not at all no because i've had i had my fun already in in, the, in my 20s so i'm just like okay had my fun i got that out of me now i gotta build the empire hmm. yeah yeah it's what we're all trying to do really i suppose yeah yeah yeah, but I regret nothing. Mm. That's the important thing. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you, you can sit here all day and groggle about, you know, what you think you should be doing or how you think you should be living. Mm. But that's all it really is. It's just an idea. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's an idea and it's a... It's a uh, like a, you're you're putting that kind of style or how you want how you think you want to be in a certain place, which is not very fair to yourself mm. because you're just dealing with uh, unknown sources and you don't want to be that too hard on yourself, especially yeah. with with doing something like that is so you know being becoming rich or mm. becoming famous or anything like that. It's just that's what we think the end goal is when it's primarily it has to do with happiness exactly exactly like i kind of i often think to myself if you woke up tomorrow and you were rich would you be happy because if you think about video games right this is a weird analogy think about grand theft auto you know the older ones where you had all them cheats yeah and you turned on a game of Grand Theft Auto. You played with no cheats. You had to grind through the missions to make your money. You enjoyed playing the game. You turn on the game. You enter the cheat for all the weapons, all the money. You'll play for an hour or two and you'll get bored. So I often think to myself, if I woke up tomorrow and I was a multimillionaire, I could literally get up out of the bed and go do whatever I wanted, buy whatever I wanted. Would it take the challenge out of life, therefore taking the fun out of life? Yeah. But then, have you ever seen anyone sitting in a Ferrari crying? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right, dude. You're right. 
I haven't seen anybody. At least not lately. Mm. Not lately. Yeah, I think I've only seen one or two, maybe two Ferraris in my lifetime. And those people look perfectly happy. Yeah. Could be. Mm. That and they probably had like a line of cocaine. <laughs> On the dashboard. It's it's cocaine and Lamborghinis. Or what do we say? Was it did you say Lamborghini or Ferrari? Ferrari. Yeah. Yeah. Cocaine and Ferraris. <laughs> and sunny sunny part of town. I don't know. Be nice. Barbados or something. The Bahamas. Yeah. But th- there's not even that much uh I mean, there, there's a couple of other people on this list that I have no clue, like Ra- Ronald McKernan. Have you ever heard of that guy? No. Pig, Ron Pigpen McKernan? Pigpen. Pigpen mm-hmm. sounds familiar. Hold on, yeah. So he was, he a, was a sensitive, somewhat unsightly character with a drinking problem. <laughs> he got together with Jerry Garcia and Bob Weir in 1964 to form a jug band that developed into the Grateful Dead. So he was a founding member of the Grateful Dead. Oh. So Pigpen started drinking when he was 12 and his and his mid-20s had cirrhosis of the liver. Damn, ulcers and other problems and other health problems. Jesus. So he was at his own apartment in Corte Madeira uh, overlooking San Francisco Bay when the end came on March 8th, 1973. He had been dead for up to two days when his landlady found him. Jesus. Whoa. Imagine though, he done like 50 or 60 years worth of drinking in like 10 years. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. How do you, that's a lot of alcohol, man. Yeah. 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 He must have just hooked himself up to a drip. Yeah. I mean, some might as well. Jeez. But he was probably drinking like heavy. He wasn't, he was probably having like whiskey straight. Oh yeah. Bottles of whiskey. Yeah. All those times he probably had like straight stuff. No chasers. Hmm. Fuck the sugar. Just give me what, give me, give me what I need. Give me the strong <laughs> stuff. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Along with him, uh, Dave Alexander. No, also, the Stooges. He was part of the Stooges. Oh, yeah, another part of the Twenty Seven Cup. Uh, Pete Ham. Uh, oh, he was in uh, Badfinger. Right. Hmm. Let's see, Chris Bell. Damn. So this is a pretty extensive list. Yeah, there's lots of people on it. And so I got Okay. I'm going to email you this list so you yeah. can put it on the show notes. Do, do. Be interesting. Yeah. Chris Bell, D. E. Boone. Yeah, there's tons. In recent years, then it's not just mus- musicians. When it started off first, it was just musicians, but nowadays it's like mm-hmm. actors and seems to be anyone famous that died at 27. Yeah. I know the actor Anton Yelchin is in it. He died at 27. Really? Yeah. He only died a couple of years ago. Hell? Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, you know who he is, yeah? No. (laughs) (laughs) He was was an actor. He was in Star Trek and the movie and a couple of other big movies. Oh, yeah, that's why I don't know him. Yeah. 
I wouldn't be a trackie myself, but he was in a pretty cool film a few years ago, around 2007 or 8. It's um, Alpha Dog, it's called. Justin Timberlake oh, was in it. Okay. It was, it's a good film. Um, but yeah, he was leaving his house one day to go to a recording studio and he went down to open his gates and he lived, there was like his driveway was a hill and he had started his car and when he was opening the gates, the car rolled down the hill and pinned him against the wall. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I remember that. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty unlucky. How does that even happen? <laughs> that's That's a very good question. That's like Final Destination type of style. <laughs> yeah, actually, it really is. That's right. That's right. And he was that. He was that young. Mm. Yeah, I feel like he would have made a good Spider-Man, actually. Better, better than what we have right now, or better than Tobey Maguire. Oh, general. better than Toby. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think Tom is doing a good job at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, is it what's the name of the guy now? Tom Holland. Tom, Tom Holland. Yeah, I don't think uh, Tom Brady is spinning any webs. No. No. Uh, I want to see. I want to see how he would look in the Spider-Man suit. Tom Brady. Yeah. That'd be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to put that out there. Maybe you'll do it for charity. Dude, I, have, I haven't looked it up yet. Maybe you can tell me why, why, uh, why Captain America looks so different. I mean, they, they didn't use Chris Evans, of course. But why? Who's that one guy doing Captain America? You haven't seen the Falcon and the Winter Soldier at all, have you? No. Do you want me to spoil it for you? Yeah, I'm probably not going to watch it. Spoiler right. alert, everybody. Yeah, so any listeners that haven't got to whatever episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is out now, don't don't uh, listen, like skip forward like two or three minutes. So <laughs> <laughs> um, did you see Endgame? Yeah, yeah, i seen that part. Yeah, so no, no Iron Man, no Captain America, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Captain America was an old man and he gave the shield yeah. to... Falcon. So yeah. Falcon didn't feel like he was he had what it takes to have Captain America's shield. He didn't feel like he could take over. So he gave the shield to the government to put in a museum. But mm. the government double crossed him and hired a new guy who was just a normal soldier to uh to become the new Captain America. Oh mm. his name is John something. One said John Barnes or something, something like that. Okay. Got it. So that that's that weird looking guy. Yeah, oh, he probably, I, I feel bad. He he doesn't look weird. It's just that he just he, he, knows, he looks like a fucking cartoon character. His face does not Chris match Evans. exactly, exactly. And Chris Evans was a good looking man, and he filled out that suit very well. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. just like to add, like I have a female partner and a child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just throwing that out there yeah just thrown it out into the universe after that weird comment I just made <laughs> oh man 
Yeah, well, it's no, uh, it's no, it, he doesn't have bat, uh, Batman nipples. No, so there's no bat is, nipples. It, his suit is okay. I mean, it's mm. better than, you know, Batman Forever. Batman. Yeah, and it looks more tactical. It actually looks more uh, like you could actually use it. Not like a big yeah. ro- molded rubber thing that you wouldn't be able to move around. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, so that's why, that's why. So there, there's going to be a new... Okay. Yeah, I've just yeah, seen a lot yeah. of stuff on it on, on Instagram and social media about uh, about comparing these two mm-hmm. uh, Captain America people. So cool. See, I get all my info. I get all my info and 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 stuff like that from listening to podcasts. That's the way to do it. Yeah, I do. Like sometimes I if. A podcast is doing a piece on like a piece of uh, uh, current events or something. Like I'll, I'll listen to it because they give they give like they give commentary that you're never gonna hear. You're you're never gonna hear anywhere else besides that podcast. Like if you listen to NPR, yeah, yeah. you'll get the news, but um, you're just getting the news. You're not getting any commentary. Yeah, that's very true. All right, it's usually unbiased. Yeah. Yeah, well, then it, again, too, it can be biased, <laughs> depending on what, what you're listening to. Like, is your podcaster listening to Fox News or CNN? Because those are totally different. <laughs> yeah, I always think that's fascinating over in America. We don't have that over here, you know, two big news stations or news companies fighting against each other. We just really have one major broadcaster in Ireland, and they just, like, align themselves with one uh, political party mm. and just put out all the propaganda for them. Mm. Okay. Doesn't work either. No? No. I feel like it'd be probably better if you could have a choice to pick mm-hmm. the lesser of two evils. Well, at least, or give the illusion. Mm. Exactly. That you have the choice. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got to say about that, brother. <laughs> you were you were looking at me wondering why i was staring at you thinking i was waiting for you to talk weren't you yeah i thought your screen had froze (laughs) you're doing your whole stoner thing again oh yeah the the stone the statue it's the statue we have to get together and uh write a song you know that song like a rolling stone yeah by the rolling stones i think we need to do a version like a frozen stone. Yeah. <laughs> like a fro like a frozen stone. <laughs> yeah. I'm game with that. I'm game yeah. with that. Who wrote we'll that first? To... Was it Bob Dylan or somebody? Yeah, I think it actually was Bob Dylan. I don't know why I said Rolling Stones. I don't think they even covered it. Rolling Stones, yeah. Yeah, they're I don't okay, let me ask you this. You probably get this all the time. Um, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Oh, the Beatles. Yeah? It has to be, yeah. Yeah, I was never really that big into the Rolling Stones. I mm. like I like a couple of their songs, you know, and it'd be cool to see them in concert for the fact that they're, they're legends-like. But, you know, I'd appreciate them. I wouldn't say I dislike them or anything. I appreciate them, but for me, it's always been the Beatles were on another level. Really? Yeah. What about you? 
Um, well, it was Beatles when I was okay. Here's the thing. I it, it changed my my thought of, of of what I thought of rock and roll was when I say, honestly, and I say this again, anybody that gets a chance to study any kind of kind of rock and roll or something, to study it from uh, like as when I went when I went back to college and I took up that rock rock and roll history. So it made me think about that totally different because the Beatles had their own style. So they had their own change in what the future of rock and roll was to become, right? Mm-hmm. But then the Rolling Stones had their own style that they were putting out that was also a huge influence on uh, in America and in American rock and roll history. So they had their own... They had their own groups and uh, genres that were inspired to different like Stone Temple Pilots and Deep Purple and all those people. Yeah. The Beatles, however, they influenced the beat movement even in America and surf and all those types of rock and roll uh, mm. stuff on their end. So when it was growing up for me, it was the Beatles, but then... Uh, after listening to uh, the what's what's that album with uh, the Rolling Stones? My Your Majesty's Your Satanic Majesty's uh, something. Jeez, I couldn't even tell you. There we go. So it was uh, listening to their Satanic Majesty's request. Like after after. Um, after listening to that album, I've listened to it maybe about like two, three years ago. Hmm. And I was just like, damn, like this is, this is, it's kind of like the Beatles, but totally different. I don't know. That's what it always struck me was I can see why people compare them, but then they're totally different in the style. They're still psychedelic. Hmm. I think that was a cool thing. And at least with this album because it caught my attention of how similar it looked to uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that might be one I was thinking of, because I remember hearing a story about that the Rolling Stones were initially inspired by the Beatles. Yeah. And then they were putting together an album, and they start getting kind of experimental with it. And they, the whole concept of the album was to be better than the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And they released this and the Beatles heard it and they said, well, we've got to be fucking way better than that. And yeah. the Rolling Stones inspired them to make Sgt. Peppers. Mm-hmm. So it was a kind of a weird back and forth. It was even with uh, is those were two UK based bands, right? Yeah. But Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, he was he was doing the same thing after Rubber Soul came out. Yeah. Yeah. After Rubber Soul came out, he was so inspired about all the experimental stuff that the Beatles were doing at that time. And that inspired him to uh, write Pet Sounds. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after, uh, have you seen that movie, uh, Love and Mercy, that talks about uh, Brian Wilson? After watching that film, I was like, damn. Um, the Beatles are fucking badass. Like they're fascinating. Mm. No, I haven't. I haven't seen it actually. I'll have to. I'll have to look it up. That one's good. And then I heard 
going back to one of my conspiracy books, which is Chaos, which is about that's written by Tom O'Neill. And he specifically talked about uh, Dennis Wilson and um, Charles Manson meeting. Oh, yes. I love that and, story. Yeah. And how they used one of Manson's songs and yeah. they put it on their 2020 album. Yeah. And Manson thought he was going to be a major, major success. Yeah. And then he felt like they kind of screwed him over. Yeah. Like he, he got pissed. He went down to uh, Dennis Wilson's house and threatened him with like a huge Boeing knife. Yeah. I read yeah. that in the, in, in the book too. Yeah. And that's how the Tate murders happened because that was the house Dennis Wilson used to live in when he went back and Dennis Wilson had moved out. Or no, not Dennis Wilson. It was the record producer who was it friends with. It was a record with, producer. Yeah. 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 And he had moved out and Sharon Tate had moved in, which was kind of unlucky. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, the connections between, well, I mean, what the Beatles, uh, not the Beatles, what the Beach Boys were and uh, Charles Manson was at that time. Mm. He but was well. The, he was he was well connected into the Hollywood scene. Yeah, that, that's what. Uh, walking away from this book, and even what Tom O'Neill says in this book, that he said that he was the one guy that nobody wants to talk about, and they just want to leave all that stuff behind because they. He was well connected. He was getting well connected with everybody in Hollywood and LA. Hmm. Oh, I'd well believe it. Yeah, after the murders, they didn't want to, nobody wanted to be affiliated. Yeah, it was that. like a dirty little secret that they even knew. Yeah. Yeah. But sure, even look at his whole ideology. Who inspired that? Remember, it was called Helter Skelter. Yeah. You know, he was hugely yep. influenced by the Beatles himself. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yep. Yes, he was. He thought that the, that song was written for him about some race war. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Helter Skelter was to him. Yeah. Was the race war. And yeah. he wanted to start it. Yeah. And he was going to go to an underground cave. Then he'd survive and all his followers would survive and they'd repopulate the, the earth then. Yeah. But what, like that, yeah. Uh, I mean, we're, we're speaking of the influence that the Beatles had on him with Helter Skelter. That, that's one, one uh, side uh, that actually came. Did you know that there was a book written called Helter Skelter? I didn't. No, yeah. actually. So, so that book is probably one of the, it's pretty popular here in the States. It's probably one of the most popular true crime uh, books. Right. Yeah. And it was written by the main... Uh, which was by, written by the main attorney for Manson. Yeah, I do know it. Yes, I haven't read it, but I I knew that he had wrote a book about Manson. Yeah, Vince Bugliosi. Yeah, have you read it? No, but I've read Tom O'Neill's book, which is called Chaos. Tom, so Tom O'Neill was uh, the uh, writer for like some some Hollywood, some LA paper that his boss wanted him to, uh, to write a piece on um, 
on the Manson murders. Uh, I guess it was the an- anniversary hmm. of it. And he started reading it. He started putting off the date that he was going to turn in that writing piece. And it turned into like a 15-year study for him. And he wrote a book about it. Jesus. I'll, uh, I'll definitely have to put that on my reading list anyway. It sounds good. The interesting piece is that Tom O'Neill met Vincent Bugliosi that wrote and prosecuted uh, Charles Manson. And the reason why they met was because Tom O'Neill wanted to tell him about the inconsistencies that there were in Helter Skelter. Ah, right. And Vincent Bugliosi told him that you better not. He didn't want him to publish any of that because there was, there was a lot of contradicting uh, evidence that came out in the case right. that Vincent didn't be a part of. Yeah. Ah, that's, that actually makes it even more fascinating. And he obviously did include all that in the book, Chaos. Yeah, he, he, that was part of the, the preface, was that he, he starts off this book with that story, him going to meet Vincent Bugliosi about his book. Jeez. See, now I feel like I want to read Helter Skelter and then read Chaos. I read, yeah, exactly. I read Chaos twice. I read the book and I listened to it on Audible. And um, I'm going to, that's something that I haven't uh, dived into was Helter Skelter. I want to. It's on my list. Yeah. Last year, actually, at the the start of the pandemic, I kind of, I got back into reading. I used to be. I used to love reading books there a few years ago, but life got a bit busy and yeah. I didn't have as much time. So last year at the start of the pandemic, I started adding a lot of books to my wish list and start ordering a few. I ended up reading, I think, 10 or 11 books on Ted Bundy. Oh, really? Yeah. And then my next list was a couple of books about Manson and then I think... Uh, Dammer and just a couple of different serial killers, just books on them, hmm. true crime, stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Whoa. Manson would have been a, a good one, all right, because obviously the ties to pop culture and music. Yeah. Yeah, it's like he's all over the place. Yeah. The Beach Boys are all over the place. Yeah, yeah. If you think about it, just all musicians and all these people in pop culture, there there's a reason why that they're here Mm. to do stuff. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And how they got all all intermingled. Yeah, it's a big web. Back to Jim Morrison, actually. Do you know that when the the Manson murders were happening, that a couple of cops actually put forth the idea that Jim Morrison was the the man behind them? Really? Yeah, they were... uh, I haven't heard that. They were looking at Jim Morrison for the thought he might have been linked in some way that maybe he had incited fans to to do it because what? he was so wild and crazy and they uh like everyone was so so afraid of him because they thought that he could start a revolution if he wanted to. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah, that's what I was uh what I brought up uh about these rock stars having this huge following and the opposing, you know, politicians or anybody in government, they, yeah, they don't like that. <laughs> they really don't. They don't. Yeah. But how, why would, why would, what would be the, what was be 
what would be his motivation? What would be Jim Morrison? Why would he want um, these guys murdered? See, that's where it doesn't doesn't match up. That's where it's inconsistent. And even yeah. with, uh, yeah, there's there there is some connection between uh, Manson and Sharon Tate, but there wasn't a whole lot. No, no. It actually there wasn't enough to set in concrete. Yeah. I mean, he was crazy. I mean, he 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 was a little unhinged, but he wasn't as unhinged as what the medium, what the media portrayed no. him to be. He was a very smart man. Yeah, and and what is also interesting uh, coming from this book is that, dude, the guy was getting his LSD from people that were well connected to the CIA. It's funny you should say that because the next point I was going to make was, did you ever hear that he was a participant in MK Ultra? Yeah. Mm. That's what you that's were getting at, was That's it? where I was going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, are, the, are the government intricate in, Manson, in the Manson murders? That's what Chaos is proposing. Really? Yeah. Ah, you know what? You're getting me more and more interested in this book by the minute. It's fascinating, dude. It's every, every, everything in that book is just, it's, it's killer. And to even think about the MK Ultra, it just opens up how many participants there were. Yeah. And uh, the significant people that were in the graduates of MK Ultra. Yeah, like um, the Unabomber is confirmed that he was in it. He was one of the subjects. You're the hold on. You're the only person other than I, I talk. I talk about this in one of my podcast episodes. That's called the Drug Paradox. I this was the only. I I didn't see this in any type of YouTube video radio movie or anything like that i actually kind of uh made those points on my own like i never really seen those i i never seen that anywhere until i watched a uh, documentary about ted kaczynski Hmm. and i was like okay so he was going to harvard around the same time that these harvard professors were um, using students as and, and and doing test trials with these students, especially with Ted Kaczynski, because he was doing some like they were doing like behavioral change kind of tests on him and stress test. Yeah, during his time at Harvard. Yeah, he was um he was supposed to be slightly autistic as well, wasn't he? Really, I didn't yeah, know that. But he was. He there was something like that anyway, but he was like genius level IQ as well. He mm. was he was actually one of the youngest people in Harvard at the time. Really? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think he graduated. He was one of the youngest people to graduate as well. I could be wrong, but I'm nearly certain oh. he was. But um, yeah, it's it's confirmed like that while he was there, they done experiments on him with uh, MK Ultra, and they got the results there they desired from it you know they were able to you know affect his behavior affect his mind with the drugs and you know 
So did they implant ideas into him then about becoming the Unabomber? Mm. Were they the ones that turned him against society and ca- that caused them to go up and live in the woods? Well, yeah, there was really a significant change after the test that, that they were doing to him. Yeah, yeah. But isn't it mad to, to like think that, first of all, that was happening, but second of all, that it's actually been confirmed, like that they have came out and said now, yeah, MK Ultra was a real thing. We were doing that to yeah. citizens. You well, know? they, so the thing, they did come out and uh, it was no middle to late 70s that they came out publicly mm. but not a lot of people from our generation knows that I, at least i don't think so yeah probably not actually i'm actually Maybe, thinking i don't know i'm actually thinking anyone i know that if i said yeah do you know what mk ultra is would they be able to say yeah that's this i'd actually be surprised if it was more than one or two people their first instance would say it's a conspiracy theory but yeah, without the second the second uh part would be that it was a conspiracy theory that is was proven hmm. not even proven the people that were involved came out and said all that stuff yeah yeah they can admit to that but they can't admit to who killed jfk <laughs> no well that's the big one that's hmm. the that's the mother load dude they yeah come on if they were going to do that, then... That's game over, then. Yeah. That destroys any piece of trust that's left in the government. Maybe. You know? Who knows? But it doesn't matter, because it's all masks and getting your vaccine and doing this and doing that, and we're going to get the economy going. You just need to keep going, wear your mask, have fun, buy stuff. <laughs> obey. Yeah. Obey and buy stuff. Follow the new world order. Buy stuff. You know, I listened to George Carlin the other night and Bill Hicks the other night, two of my most famous, my favorite comedians of all Mm. time. I tell you, I got to tell you, Brian, every time I get older, I believe them and I sincerely feel for what these guys talk about and what they say. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. I couldn't agree more. I get older and older. And I start to agree with these guys more and more. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's not much funnier because yeah, there's a certain piece of satire and it's their art. Hmm. And they're sending a message, but they're, always, they're making you laugh. But the reason why you're laughing is because that is, it's right in your face, but they're just making us realize that in a yeah. funny way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If you, um, you made me think of uh, when you said George Carlin did you ever see that remix someone did of his little rhyme they remixed it with um, Daft Punk oh okay so George Carlin has this bit where it's like he taught up a new chant to shout at football games have you ever heard it no I haven't heard that one rat shit bat shit dirty old twat 69 assholes tied in a knot hooray I'd say that at a football game. Mm. Yeah, I was that one. Well. And it wouldn't matter what team you were going for. No. But he's another one that was a genius of comedy. Yeah. Yeah, they take all the good ones and leave us the, you know. The shitty ones. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I just yeah. watched uh, last night. I watched. Um, it was like a two-hour video that somebody put together of all of Bill Hicks' uh, interviews and um, appearances he made on The Tonight Show. Really? Yeah, it was two hours long, and I watched every bit of it, and even up until the last one, because um, uh, he got pulled, or his his uh, special got pulled from uh, the late night show. Right. Yeah, he he got pulled because I guess some some of the jokes that he he was gonna perform or that he did perform, he did the whole show, like everything was was done. He did the show, and then at the uh, right at the end, they pulled um, they put it, they pulled his performance out, and then it was after that that uh, he wasn't he didn't get that much work because of he got pulled off and stuff, and then it was what like a year later then he died. Oh Jesus. Yeah, the whole thing was fucking sad, dude. Yeah. He was only young as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was he was young. Yeah, he was, I want to say he was like 30, was he? Yeah, well, he was born in 61, uh, died in 1994. Fuck. Well, he was, yeah, he was 32. Jesus. Yeah, 32, and this guy was freaking smart. The, the cool thing and what... Uh, they were saying also about his death is that, hold on, right. Yeah, so it was actually, uh, it was actually Letterman that pulled his uh, performance out. He didn't want him doing j- those type of jokes on his show. Oh, shit. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I guess it was like uh, some anniversary of his death. So uh, Letterman brings on uh, his mom. Uh, Bill Hicks's mom, Mary Hicks, onto the show, and he apologizes to her on the show. And he actually plays the the performance that he pulled out like years ago. Jeez, he played Jesus. it on my TV, and he was—you can tell at the end of the performance that Letterman was pretty—he was—he was pretty upset with himself, and he even says that he has no reason why he can think that he would ever pull that art that Bill did. So he, he apologized. Part of me is like, it's a bit kind of too little, too late. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I even recently got into Bill Hicks. I recently got into him. And I, from another conspiracy that Alex, we won't get into it, but that uh, Alex Jones is uh, Bill Hicks. Oh, yeah. I've heard that. I've heard that. I, I don't want to go. I don't want to no. get into that. We'll be <laughs> still here next say? week. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I've heard that one. That apparently it all aligns properly and it matches up perfectly that he's Alex Jones. But he's another guy that's after fucking disappearing now, isn't he? That what? That he's going to disappear? No, Alex Jones, he's kind of after disappearing. He doesn't seem to be anywhere anymore, does he? Mm, I haven't. I haven't heard anything lately. Mm. I know that. Um, no, I haven't heard anything lately. This was fun, dude. This was really cool. It actually was. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't. There's not. There's only a few people that you can do three hour podcasts with. That's for sure. That's for sure. I, you're actually probably the first person I found that I could do a three hour podcast with.
are you guys still doing here? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.